Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today we are highlighting Dr. Bethany Sibbert from the School Pharmacy. She does more than provide medication to her patients. She desires to share the hope of Jesus with others. Now here's your host, Mark Weinstein. One of the marquee academic programs at Cedarville University is the professional pharmacy degree. Cedarville has been teaching tomorrow's pharmacists for the past 11 years, and one of the members of the first class is joining me today on the Cedarville Stories podcast. My guest today is Dr. Bethany Sibbett. Welcome to the podcast, Bethany. Thanks, Mark. Great to have you. I'm interested right out of the gate in understanding how you became interested in pharmacy. So my path to pharmacy isn't um, the straight line path that we um, like to envision. So originally, my goal when I started higher education was to go into the medical field because that seemed the most straightforward approach into direct patient care. And like the Lord often does, we kind of take some indirect routes to where he wants us to wind up eventually. Um, So originally, I was pursuing um, med school Um, I had considered physician assistant training, um, and nothing was really panning out at the time. And I had the opportunity to learn about Cedarville's pharmacy program. At that point, I was actually working as a pharmacy technician in the community setting, and I had a very small view of what pharmacists did. And I didn't really envision myself doing what I did every day as a technician for the rest of my life, but... Um, My parents gently encouraged me to consider pharmacy. So I actually went to one of the initial kind of vision casting meetings that um, Mark Sweeney was having at the time. And I learned about all the different ways that pharmacists could be involved in direct patient care, research, or a variety of different options. And so learning that I could use my skills and my passions for direct patient care in the pharmacy setting um, was what initially drew me to our program. So when you came to Cedarville, as you mentioned, you were not pursuing a PharmD. And Cedarville was only just beginning to offer a PharmD. So what was it like to be in that very first class? In in many ways, you're a pioneer, and you set the stage for a lot of people who have joined you since. What was it like to be in that first graduating class? So I don't think I maybe had quite as many reservations or, you know, possible concerns because this whole entrance into the pharmacy career was a very new development for me at the time. So there might have been a little bit of um, naiveness going into the experience. I didn't really know to question things or possibly be concerned that we might not get accredited, which, you know, thankfully, you know, the Lord blessed us with that. But it was it was exciting for me. You know, Cedarville at that point, I had already done a four year degree and I had worked um, for the university in a staff capacity. So it was being with family, but in a different way. So I don't think I had very many concerns. There was just a lot of excitement knowing that there was a lot of support for our program at that time. Are you naturally a risk taker? I don't know. I think I'm more of an oblivious risk taker. (laughs) I don't necessarily pursue, you know, adventurous endeavors, but I'm not held back by, you know, a lot of concerns. I probably should think about them more than I do, but that maybe allows me to kind of jump in without really getting too tied up in fears. Looking back now, do you see the risk involved that you were going to a program that wasn't accredited? It was just beginning and there were no guarantees for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, I can't remember if I had already started the program at the time, but I was working in that outpatient community setting with students who were doing rotations from other universities 
who did have challenges with years where their accreditation status was questionable. So I remember kind of hearing about it in retrospect and realizing like, oh, that could have been, you know, that could have been our program. And, you know, thankfully, lots of people have been working very hard behind the scenes and all those years leading up to when I got to sit in those seats for class that that didn't happen to our program. But I think retrospectively now I have a much greater appreciation for what that was like. Outside of the Lord's blessing, Mm -hmm. and that's significant and that's the major factor. Mm -hmm. What was Cedarville doing well at the outset of this program? Um, So something I've come to appreciate on this side of things, as an alumni, I have a small role on our advisory council that is ongoing. But learning that that advisory council was intentionally set up well in advance of pursuing this program and just the unique people that they sought out for that advisory council, you know, people who were in the field of pharmacy, who were outside of pharmacy, just all those unique perspectives that could really kind of push and pull to really set up the program well from the get-go. I think that is huge because, you know, I think even that scripture shows us that we're, we're not meant to go through life alone. So having that foresight to know we wouldn't couldn't have a successful program just because we have a great dean. We really needed all those supporting um, voices as well. As you think back to your classmates in your graduating class, what are some of the lessons that your fellow classmates, students helped you learn or taught you during Mm -hmm. your time together? I think that our class had a pretty tenacious spirit. You could see that playing out when we were in class together and even in our initial postgraduate experiences, but it's it's 2019, we're th- three years post-graduation. I see students who maybe um, didn't take on those big L leadership roles in class who are now leaders in their areas of practice, whether that's in the community setting, in missions, in business, in the hospital settings, and just that their experience at Cedarville set them up for success wherever they wound up. Do you stay in contact with any of your classmates? Yeah, I actually, um, I had the immense blessing that um, my postgraduate training, I had a co-resident. And so he and I graduated together. We did our residency training at a local hospital together, and we still um, are in contact weekly, if not daily. Um, And there's, you know, a handful of students that I was very close to Um, during the four years that I still keep in contact on a regular basis. Let's shift into uh, more today. So currently you're assistant professor of pharmacy practice. Mm -hmm. One of your responsibilities in the role that you have is to coordinate the interprofessional education initiatives for the school and in the Dayton region. How did you become involved in this aspect? So I think one of the benefits of being well-known by um, my colleagues and now bosses when I took the job at Cedarville was that they knew the connections I had as a student. And so as a student, I was involved in coordinating some of those interprofessional events. And then knowing that I had stayed local and was involved in different um, institution-based healthcare, I think there um, was the hope that I would have some of those existing connections that would help foster those relationships in the local programs that we work with regularly. Okay, so you stayed local. Mm -hmm. You've been here for quite a number of years, but yet you're not from here originally. You're from Connecticut. I am. Is that surprising that you were able to connect so well with the local community? Knowing my personality, I would say no. I'm a very people, relationship-driven person, and I'm very loyal. So 
it fits my MO, I guess you could say, that I, I found something that sticks and I've stuck to it. So let's stay on the same track. Sure. What does interprofessional education really involve to help educate us? So interprofessional education really highlights the fact that we provide the best patient care. Um, we increase safety. We improve outcomes when all of the members of the healthcare team are working together. So in the past, we've had um, a lot of siloed approaches to patient care. So you have your specialists who all go in and see the patients individually. We have the nurses who are providing care kind of um, at baseline and throughout the day. Um, and everybody is doing their job separately. So you can definitely see, you know, you're in communications. You can see how that could definitely contribute to a breakdown in communication. Right. And if you have a gap in communication, you can have things falling through the cracks that could negatively impact a patient's outcome. So this whole push for interprofessional education is that when people are in the learning state, we are teaching them that this should be the norm so that when they are then licensed and out and practicing medicine on their own, it's part of their norm, not something they have to get used to after, you know, a lifetime of practicing medicine. Um, so it's kind of creating that infrastructure as a learner that this is going to promote the best patient outcome if we can learn how to work together on a team, because we're all going to have different strengths and weaknesses as we approach patient care, because none of our training is meant to be all encompassing. Um, so if we can kind of defer to one another's strengths, it will provide the best outcomes overall. So this style of healthcare is really new in society, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. it's. I mean, I think it's probably things that we've known for a long time because I'm sure you could look at data. Um, but as far as it being a push in curriculums in the training setting, that is new. So why is that push and that style of learning so important for our students or any student going into healthcare? So one of the more basic reasons why it's important is that it's actually required for us to maintain accreditation for our school of pharmacy. Okay. Um, so they look at what we are offering in our curriculum. If, and if we don't facilitate these interprofessional education opportunities, our accreditation could be in jeopardy because they realize that this is so important that it needs to be built in the curriculum, not just, it's a good idea. You should encourage this. It needs to be part of your curriculum. And then I think other than that, again, reflecting back on seeing the impact on safety and outcomes and decreased healthcare costs, you know, cost of medical care is always going to be a hot topic. If we can reduce those healthcare costs while improving patient outcomes, that's going to be a win for everybody. Yeah. And there's no question in your mind, is there, that following this model of healthcare does provide a better service to the patients? Definitely. Yes. So let's uh, transition from pharmacy to, I, I know a little bit about your story that uh, you also are involved in Bible studies. Mm -hmm. That's important to you uh, on campus. You've been doing that for many years, actually. What prompted you to become involved and stay involved in campus Bible studies? So one of the things, um, kind of reflecting back a little bit, how I mentioned that my, my path wasn't a straight one to pharmacy. I finished my first degree at Cedarville in 2007 and then stayed local um, because I was trying to still go down the path that I thought I was supposed to be on. And in that time, I was able to get plugged into community and just really saw the value in um, regular accountability and Bible study and getting plugged into a local church. Um, and so fast forward several years, once I finally, you know, 
got into the graduate program at Cedarville, the Lord had already kind of developed that foundation of seeing how vital that aspect of your development is to really support your academic endeavors. So I understood coming back as faculty how challenging it can be, especially as a grad student, where you don't have kind of the built-in opportunities that the undergraduate life on Cedarville has for you, that you have to take much more personal ownership of that, um, pursuing spiritual maturity and things like that. And you have so many things vying for your time because there's such an emphasis on you know, good grades. And so I really felt called when I came back as faculty to help kind of facilitate those opportunities for our students because I didn't want a student to wind up going through seven years at Cedarville because they kept pushing off, oh, when I'm done with grad school, when I'm done with XYZ, then I'll get serious about my relationship with the Lord and Bible study because that's so many years of wasted opportunities to grow in your knowledge of the word and your relationship with the Lord. So if I can just be one small blip on somebody's walk with the Lord and helping to encourage biblical literacy and um, studying the scripture earlier than when they get done with whatever stage they're trying to get through, then that I count as a win. Your story there is inspiring. It um, shows a depth that you have a, a strong relationship with the Lord. That leads me to ask you this question. How did the Lord bring himself to you? So I had the privilege of actually growing up in a Christian home. Um, Both my parents are still together. So I was raised in the church. Um, I made an early profession of faith when I was young, around age five. Um, So I grew up learning the truth, kind of how um, Paul describes Timothy as, you know, becoming more and more convinced of what he had been taught. I really like that story because I don't have— One of those stories where I remember, you know, the date and time of when I got saved. And that actually caused me to doubt a lot growing up because I couldn't claim this one kind of stake in the ground timeline. But I definitely see the Lord really pursuing me and kind of drawing me out of that inherited faith, so to speak, and really making it my own. Actually, when I was an undergrad at Cedarville, because I was away from the comfort and the um, kind of oversight of my parents, my home church, who are all wonderful. And I really had to make the decision, is this for real or is it just because how I was brought up? And so um, having those opportunities as an undergrad and really having to kind of make my faith my own at that point was really where I feel like I started actively following the Lord. So my profession of faith may have come early, but I really started following the Lord in my early 20s, and that started at Cedarville. And that, yeah, and that led you through the the PharmD program. What was it like in the PharmD program with other students, your classmates? Did they have similar deep relationship with the Lord? So I think it kind of depends. I mean, with me coming into the program as a somewhat non-traditional student, because I was a little bit older than the students who had started as freshmen all the way through, I think that they're is a bit of life experience differences that mm-hmm. were there. Sure. Um, not that spiritual maturity always correlates with your age maturity, but I think I had had the opportunity to walk through different experiences that really formed my faith in ways that you know some of my other classmates hadn't yet, sure. or they had had other experiences. Sure. Let's go back into the pharmacy realm a little bit. As a pharmacy graduate, you had a wide array of options in front of you. You could have done a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did you choose to pursue a residency? When I 
originally started my PharmD program, I did a lot of back and forth because originally I started and I had just learned that residencies were a thing. And that was very exciting to me, especially considering it's very analogous to the med school training. You go to med school and then you do a residency and then you're specialized. And so that was kind of alluring to me because it sort of mimicked what I originally thought I was going to do. And then you get your first phase of burnout where you're like, okay, I just want to be done at the end of four years and go into the workforce. Well, as I started to kind of engage more with our clinical therapeutics courses, I really felt drawn into a particular clinical specialty, which is where I now work. So as I started weighing what what I needed to do next, I never wanted the fact that I didn't do residency training to prohibit me from an opportunity later on down the road. I mean, I always tell students that there there is always going to be a degree of knowing the right people and the right timing. Right. And obviously, you know, the Lord's will for your life over everything, but you can't really bank on the right place at the right time panning out all the time. No. So I wanted to make sure that I did my due diligence in setting myself up well for where I thought the Lord was calling me. And for me, that meant having some residency training under my belt. I also wasn't the strongest academic um, student. I mean, I did fine, but I wasn't a 4.0 in pharmacy school. So knowing that I could have one more year of intense training to really kind of shore up those skills and just even feeling confident in myself, that for me was worth the price of admission for residency because I could see in three months, the first three months of residency, how far I had grown since graduation in May. That sealed the deal right right there for sure. me. So maybe you just answered it, but how did your residency experience really enhance your pharmacy education and your credentials? So I don't know if this is still the estimate, but I know when I was graduating, they estimate that a year of residency is equivalent to about three years of job experience. So I was able to kind of compact three years of inpatient clinical experience into one um, so right there, that's that's a very efficient use of my time to get that much experience under my belt and just kind of see, seeing the vast array of how pharmacists are plugged into that healthcare team, even though the bulk of my residency rotations don't actually pertain to what I do day in and day out now, I still have that in my arsenal of training that I can pull from when I staff in the inpatient setting because I'm still seeing all those same types of patients. So in talking with uh, Dave Ormsby, mm -hmm. talking with Dr. Mark Sweeney, they tell me you are teaching the oncology module, mm -hmm. which is, in their estimation, one of the most difficult modules to teach in pharmacy school. What took you to uh, oncology as a professor? So when I was a student in my third year, I was really kind of drawn to both infectious disease and oncology. And there, there is a quite a bit of overlap between the two. Um, so I knew that I liked them both purely from the academic standpoint of they're both very challenging. Um, there's a lot of nuance to picking the right treatment course for the right diagnosis in that setting because you have your guidelines of what you should do. But then if you have a patient who doesn't kind of fit what you expect, you have to get really creative in how to provide care for them. So there's a lot of overlap. But I know myself enough to know that I am very, um, I kind of wear my heart on my sleeve. So I didn't know how that would translate to actual patient care. 
You learn in a classroom, you learn about patients in two dimensions because they're on a piece of paper and they're made up. But I wasn't quite sure how that would translate into the real world setting because I wasn't naive enough to know that it wouldn't be hard to go into oncology and that you get connected to the people that you care for. Actually, the my mentors who taught the course when I took it as a student, I was able to do one of my um, fourth year rotations with her in Columbus. And so I got to kind of see the day in and day out of, you know, the impact a pharmacist oncology can have on the patient care team, as well as those direct patient interactions and just really felt, you know, that kind of solidified that, yes, I can do it both as an academic intellectual activity, but I can also do it as a patient care situation. And it wasn't going to be too hard. It's hard. Um, I've lost patients. It's hard, but Mm. it's worth it. So knowing it's really difficult, Mm -hmm. What keeps you going back and keeps you in this discipline? So we talk a lot about advocacy in the healthcare setting and just the opportunity to advocate for my patients. I I am blessed to work in a health system that truly does promote sharing your faith in the workplace. But knowing that different patients, based on their past experiences, they may be more or less inclined to share um, what's going on with different members of the healthcare team. Um, sometimes they're much more open with what they share with me about their experience and what they might share with somebody else. So being able to kind of draw that out of patients and just, you know, sit with them when they get the good news and when they get the bad news, we get to be humans. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm a human and I'm a believer. And that's that's an important role to have with your patients, regardless of what your title is. Think back to when, Maybe you lost a patient mm-hmm. or, or you were with a, a family when they got the bad news. How did the Lord bring you through that? And how did he use you in that situation? So I would have to say the very first patient that I ever lost, I knew that both he and his wife are believers. So from the get-go, the first day that I met them and found out that we had that shared in common, that always kind of underpinned our discussion. So I, I specifically work in oral um, or pill chemotherapy So a lot of times patients have already gone down several lines of treatment before they would get to an agent that I would talk to them about. So even when we met, you know, the first day, you know, we already knew that he had gone through several lines of therapy. So, you know, we're we try to be realistic about what the options could be um, and then hope for the best kind of, you know, expect expect the worst, hope for the best. So every time we met, we would kind of talk about, you know, what are your goals? Is what you're experiencing As far as side effects, is that prohibiting you from really living out the remainder of your days in the best way possible? Knowing that, you know, we we had lots of discussions like we know what the end is going to be. We know what's looking forward, you know, in eternity. So having that shared hope was able to kind of um, form all of our discussions about treatment decisions and things like that. And Mm -hmm. even when they decided to stop pursuing treatment, I had the opportunity to um, visit them when he was on home hospice and um, just hold his hand for, you know, a half hour or so. And just knowing that you can be a support to them, whether or not you're providing, you know, medication education, just really is special. So it's obvious to me sitting in front of you doing this interview that you love people, you love Jesus. You've also spent time on medical missions trips. Tell us how you became involved in medical missions. 
So I really actually haven't had a chance to do a dedicated medical missions trip yet. I've gone on several general missions trips, and we're working towards doing um, some pharmacy or um, collaborative opportunities. But again, it, it kind of goes back to you know, using your skills as a resource. So the opportunities that the School of Pharmacy provides with global outreach and, you know, with other partnerships we formed to have students both learn their skills and then use use how the Lord has gifted them to serve others and meet both a physical and a spiritual need um, is really special. And, yeah, I like to frame those discussions that I have with students on a lot of a lot of different areas kind of describing things as resources that you can invest. So, you know, you can, you know, bury your resource in the ground and not do anything with it, or you can use it as an investment for the future. And so I think, you know, whether it is a true medical missions trip or a general missions trip opportunity, those are investments of your time that you can either waste or put to good use. What's that next opportunity that you're hoping comes? So we are hoping, and maybe if I put this out into podcast land, it will come to fruition. I am working with um, one of my colleagues, Dr. Amos, on hopefully setting up a trip to Nigeria next summer. Oh, great. So one of the challenges with, you know, setting up trips, depending on where you go, there's a lot more things at play. So we we tried to go to Nigeria a couple years ago, and just some of the political climate Mm -hmm. wound up making that not able to happen. So we pray that the Lord will allow us to go um, this following summer, but that's the, that's the most current thing on the horizon for me. Yeah. So that's, that's cool. So my last question for you is uh, what is your greatest memory or most memorable event from your time at Cedarville university? So I will preface this by saying it's really hard to talk about yourself and feel like you're tooting your own horn. But I think that, the success of the story I'm about to share really just reflects back on everybody who made it happen in the background. But my last year of school, I was able to um, apply for and be selected to be the chair of a national committee for one of the mm-hmm. big pharmacy organizations. And, you know, you asked me about being a risk taker earlier. I always tell my students, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Like you apply for something and they say no, that's pretty low risk. You might as well just try. It happens all the time. I know. So I tried and come to find out that Cedarville by that point, and again, not not me, but Cedarville and just the reputation that had been built up to that point had created such a buzz for itself by that point that the people who were evaluating the applicant pool said, if there is anybody from Cedarville who applies for this job or this role, we are picking them. So not only did I get picked for this committee, I got picked to lead the committee that oversaw all of social media, all of communications for this pharmacy organization. And because of that opportunity, I've been able to stay connected with that organization as a new practitioner now. So You know, if you had asked me day one of my P1 year, Mm -hmm. if I thought that that would happen at the end, no. But because I had the encouragement of my professors who are now my colleagues, I was able to kind of grow into that opportunity. And because of the name that Cedarville had started to make for itself at that point, which that was, you know, three years ago, we had already gotten enough buzz for people to not be like, who is this random person from Cedarville, Ohio, applying for this leadership role? So great story. And 
You've shared a lot of great stories. Uh, my guest today is Dr. Bethany Sibbett, a pioneer from the first year of the professional pharmacy program at Cedarville University. Thank you for being my guest today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.